Father, by your word this morning, please put a new song in our heart so that we might be keen to live for you alone. Amen. You know those uh, travelators across the road in the shopping centre at Coles? Uh, you know, the moving walkways that take you up and down from the car park? Have you ever tried to walk on them the wrong way? You know, like trying to walk up to Coles but on the down travelator? It's sort of fun and you can do it, but it takes effort, doesn't it? You, you need to work against the flow. Otherwise, you will just get carried down in the direction the travelator is going rather than where you're trying to go. This morning's passage, it actually wants us to do something with that level of effort. This is a passage that wants us to work against the flow. Not of a travelator, but within our culture. Because today's passage is about doing something that is directly opposite to the direction that our culture wants us to go. What is it? Well, it's perhaps best summarised at the beginning of verse 18, where Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. That, in a nutshell, is pretty much what this morning's passage is all about. That is our application. Flee sexual immorality. And in today's world, that is very much like trying to walk the wrong way on a very fast-moving travelator. Because God's intention is for us to enjoy each other sexually within the context of a faithful, loving marriage. But our culture's movement, it's more about pursuing pleasure with whoever you want, as long as it's consensual, whoever you want, in any way you want. God actually wants us to resist that sort of mindset. And in this morning's passage, he gives us two reasons for that. The first reason is that as followers of Jesus, it's just not who we are anymore. Verse 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now let's just pause there, uh, that opening phrase in the new NIV, or do you not know, that sounds like we're jumping right into the middle of a pre-existing train of thought because that's exactly what we're doing. These verses follow very closely on from what we read last week about an especially awful case of sexual immorality that was happening in the Corinthian church. A man was sleeping with his father's wife. It was an extreme case of immorality. And so remember last week, Paul gave three reasons why the Corinthians needed to take drastic action against it. First and foremost, so as to try and bring the man involved back to Jesus. Secondly, because as God's people, the Corinthians should be distancing themselves from all sin. And thirdly, as the saints of God, we have a future role in judgment. So don't be afraid to make a judgment call regarding sin, he told the Corinthians, especially in the case of this bloke who's sleeping with his father's wife. Well, this morning's passage is very closely linked and in many ways today's passage is serving as a fourth reason why the Corinthians should deal with that especially awful case of sexual immorality from the previous week. Deal with it, Paul is effectively saying this morning, because as followers of Jesus, we all should be fleeing from sexual immorality. Because again, it's just not who we are anymore. Verse 9, midway through again. Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers 
will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, if you think we live in a self-indulgent, sexualised culture, back at the time Paul wrote this letter, Corinth was maybe even more so. The city was full of temples, many of which held feasts attached with temple prostitutes. And so prostitution and casual sex and a party culture were a very big part of life. Paul wants to emphasise, however, that for the Corinthians, who are now followers of Jesus, all that sort of stuff is behind them. In verse 11, he says, that is what some of you were, past tense. And then in the original text, he actually repeats the but three times for emphasis. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. And so that past life of immorality, well, that's exactly past. For now they are cleansed. Now they are pardoned by God. That's what justified means. Now they are set apart as God's precious people. That's what sanctified means. This is wonderful news, not just for the Corinthians, but for us. I mean, think about it. Here is Paul writing to a bunch of people, some of whom it sounds had been into just about anything you can possibly imagine, and yet Paul says now that they are spotless. They are blameless before God. They are treasured by God. This is a great declaration of the, the cleansing power of Jesus' death on the cross on our behalf. If you are here and you're not yet a Christian, please do not think that you can't become one because somehow your sin is so terrible that God couldn't possibly want anything to do with you. No matter what we've done, it can be washed away because of Jesus. His death on the cross just takes it all away. God wants you in his kingdom. And if you're here as a follower of Jesus but still struggling in particular, in particular sins in your life, please hear the comfort of this. God wipes it all away through Jesus. But as wonderful as all that is, Paul's main point to the Corinthians here is that all those things that he's just listed off, that's what some of them were. The implication being it's not who you are anymore. So live like that. The story is told of Alexander the Great, who after one particularly big battle, he had a soldier dragged before him who had been found guilty of deserting his post during the battle. Alexander the Great asked the soldier his name. He replied, my name is Alexander, sir. Maybe hoping for a bit of leniency, shared the same name. Alexander the Great was furious. His response was, Change your life or change your name. Change your life or change your name. We call ourselves followers of Jesus and yet we are casual about sin. I wonder how King Jesus would feel about that. Change your life or change your name. Because that's simply not who we are anymore. But Paul moves on, because even though there's a whole range of sins listed there in verses 9 and 10, ever since that particularly bad case of it in chapter 5, it's the issue of sexual immorality that is the background noise to all of this. 
And that becomes particularly obvious as Paul now moves on to a second reason to flee from immorality, this reason being that we belong to Christ now. Which just like, uh, uh, just like nowadays, to many of the Corinthians, this would have been a very countercultural idea to grapple with. Just how countercultural it was to them is evidenced by the slogans that Paul now quotes. That's why they're in inverted commas in the new NIV and the ESV in verses 12 and 13. I have the right to do anything, you say. There's one of their slogans, you see. That's why it's in inverted commas. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. There's that slogan again. That's why it's in inverted commas. But I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. There's another one of their slogans. And those slogans, in quotation marks, uh, they reflect a very common attitude at the time, which was that the spiritual world and the physical world were really different to each other, and that God really only cared about the spiritual world. And because God only cared about the spiritual world, well, then you could do whatever you want in the physical world. Uh, food, stomach, stuff to do with our physical bodies, God's going to destroy it all in the end, so just do whatever you want. So in terms of sexual immorality, yeah, heck, go for it. It's only a bodily function. It's not a spiritual thing. God's not going to care. Paul disagrees. Paul, like the rest of the Bible, has a much more holistic view of who we are as people and that the spiritual and the physical are very closely connected, which is what he goes to point out in the second half of verse 13. The body, however is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he'll raise us also. Paul's making the point, and it's one that he'll come back to later on in the letter, that just like Jesus was bodily raised from the dead, so will we. We will not be bodiless spirits floating around the place after death. Because both body and spirit matter to God. And therefore, when we follow Jesus, both body and spirit belong to Jesus. Our bodies are meant for the Lord, he says in verse 13. Which has got massive implications for the Corinthians regarding sexual immorality. Because if we use our bodies for immorality, then there's a sense in which Jesus himself is now involved in that immorality. Because it's his body, he owns it. And that's just unthinkable especially given the oneness that, that sex represents. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. And it's all leading to that summary verse, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, to be sure, the last bit of that verse about all other sins being outside the body, it's a little tricky to figure out what he's actually getting at there. Um, it's, it is not necessarily saying that sexual sins are any worse than others. They're just a different category. Plus, it, it doesn't mean that sexual sins are the only ones that physically harm our body because drunkenness and gluttony do that as well. Given its context, Paul's probably there drawing on the idea that he's already said in the previous verses, 16 and 17, about the closeness and the oneness that sex represents. 
And therefore, to involve our bodies so intimately and deeply in an act of disobedience, it's unthinkable to think of doing that with anything that belongs to Jesus. And so he goes on to say, verse 19, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. These are powerful thoughts. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And given what Paul has been saying in the lead up to those statements, the you, there is all of you. Every aspect of who we are. Body, mind, spirit, soul, however you want to think of yourself. All of who we are now belongs to Jesus and is owned by Jesus. It's worth reflecting on. Because lots of people, even some Christians, seem to have this idea that Jesus is sort of a house guest in our life. We even talk of inviting Jesus into our lives in the way you invite a house guest to come and stay. And just like with house guests, we can fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus can have you know, a, 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 this space in our life, but he's not really all that welcome sticking his nose into some of our more personal stuff. Jesus is no house guest. Jesus walks in and he owns the house. We don't invite Jesus into our life. We submit our life to him. And there is nothing that is off limits to him. Our thought world, our spending patterns, our investments, the size and location of our house, our education, our career, our marital status, our parenting, our friendships, our church involvement, our free time. And here in these verses, it's also what we do with our bodies. It's all meant for Jesus. It's all owned by Jesus. Which, remember, that's not a bad thing. He's not a tyrant. He's a loving master. He only ever wants what's best for us. And in today's passage, it's especially relevant for the Corinthians in how they should flee from sexual immorality. Because after what we heard last week about that fellow who was sleeping with his father's wife and how the Corinthians were even somehow proud of that, it doesn't sound like they've been doing much fleeing at all. Because the word is flee. Verse 8 doesn't simply say resist sexual immorality. It doesn't just say avoid. It's much more active than that. Flee. Run away. Make a break for it. Bolt as fast as you can. Do whatever you can to get away. Avoid even the thin edge of the wedge, which may not even seem very serious in the moment, but over time might become a problem. And so fleeing sexual immorality means giving serious thought to who we are spending our time with and how long we're spending time with them. It's going to involve thinking very seriously about what's filling our minds, what movies we're watching, what websites we're going to. It's going to involve making wise choices in what we choose to wear in how long we let our eyes linger on images or people. It involves being 
selfless and caring in how we make love in our marriages. It involves seeking help if, if there is something that we're struggling with. It involves thinking through who, who might be a good person to help me stay accountable. And if you're thinking that, oh, that sounds a bit silly and over the top, you're not hearing the word flee loudly enough. Because for you and I, just like the Corinthians, this is going to be like walking the wrong way on a travelator. We're going to have to work against the flow of virtually everything that is around us. Otherwise, we're just going to be taken in the world's direction instead of the way God wants us to go. But that's okay. We're followers of Jesus. And we are up for that sort of effort. And this morning's passage is helpful in reminding us of why we're up for it. Because that's the noticeable thing about this passage. What we are meant to be doing as a result of this passage is crystal clear. Flee sexual immorality. We have a very simple to-do list from today's passage. What's striking about it, though, is why we should be doing it. Because these are very Jesus-centred reasons. I mean, Paul could have just laid all this out as some sort of legalistic command. Thou shalt not commit sexual immorality. And that would have been a legit approach. God's God. He's got every right to tell us what to do. End of story. That's not how, that's not how Paul approaches it. Nor does he set it up as God wanting us to do what's best for us. Which, again, is true. I mean, sexual immorality, it's an incredibly toxic lifestyle. And even though our culture would never admit it, it wreaks havoc on us. Sexual immorality costs our society millions of dollars every year in medical, in counselling, in legal costs, let alone the emotional scars that people have to carry around with them because of it. God is loving us by telling us to avoid it. But yet again, that's not, that's not what Paul how he approaches this issue. Instead, he tells the Corinthians about their relationship with Jesus and who they are now because of Jesus and who they now belong to because of Jesus. That's a really powerful way to think about yourself. Because when the temptations come this week, and they will, when you feel the pull to give into a desire or to simply feel the thrill of not fleeing as far as we should, when we're thinking of just pushing the limits in what we do or what we watch or who we spend time with or under the guise of Christian freedom, when those moments come, remember who you are in Christ. Remember, we're not into sin anymore. Remember that all of life, even what we do with our bodies, belongs to Jesus. And remember that as followers of Jesus, we're not running around ticking off a bunch of rules. We're living a new life. We're living out a new identity. We're living a washed, sanctified justified life. I'll pray.
Father, thank you for this part of your word. Thank you for reminding us of who we are because of Jesus, that we belong to you, and that because of that, our life is not our own. Amen.